Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. If you've made any online purchases recently, you might have seen a little line underneath your total at the checkout. Click here to pay in four installments. This is known as Buy Now, Pay Later. It's popping up everywhere these days, with companies like Amazon, Samsung, and Sleep Country. And some studies show it makes people spend more money. And so the real fear, and I'll say this personally, my fear is that it can lead to like massive amounts of debt being accumulated because you think that, you know, it's hundred bucks here, it's a few hundred bucks there, but all of a sudden it's like a few thousand dollars that can get added up. Finance reporter and columnist Tim Kalatz is here to tell us more. This is The Decibel. Tim, thanks so much for joining me again. Happy to be here. So I think the general idea of buy now, pay later is is pretty self-explanatory. You buy it now, you pay for it later. But but how does it actually work? So there's a few different models, but in the simplest version, you buy something and you get to spread out the cost in four payments. So you spend $100, you put $25 up front, and then 25 more each over four periods. It tends to be bi-weekly. So every two weeks, you, you pay the rest. And... It's marketed and it truly is kind of interest-free. It, it, there's no cost to you if you make your payments on time. So it can just be a nice way of spacing out your purchases. However, if you miss a payment, depending on the service that you've used, that's when fees can can come in. Hmm. Okay. Um, so I'll give you one, one good example. So Flexity, which is actually a Canadian company that got purchased last year. Um, and so it's, if you want to buy a fridge, you know, your, your fridge breaks and you need a new fridge, um, but you don't have the money right now, you can go to the brick or whatever and get to a, a program with Flexity and it'll be like no money down for 24 months. Um, and then you start paying with them specifically though. I looked into this last night. They have a program with Alexanian, which is a carpet company, um, here in, uh, the GTA. If you miss a payment, you are then subject to their interest rate is basically 30 to 38%, okay. which is much higher than a credit card. A credit card tends to be 20%. Hmm. So it looks great, but the problem or the cost of messing up is very high. And over time, so let's say like this is a $100 purchase, you split it into four payments, it seems like it would be $25 each. Is it actually $25 though? Or are you actually paying like, you know, twenty six fifty or something per payment? Like do you end up paying more if you if you spread it out? In theory, no. Like it's really, it's, it is meant to be pretty straightforward. Mm. Um, and an important part of this that I think people don't really know because it's on the, the backside of it is um, a lot of the firms that are clean, so to speak. So they really don't charge any fees. It's like if you, if you make your four payments on time, you're just good to go. They make money by charging the retailer or the merchant fees. And so the pitch to, to merchants has been, you know, if you sign up with us, um, whether you're Afterpay or Affirm um, or Klarna, these are some of the company names, um, the, the buy now, pay later names, consumers like using us. They like the idea of being able to spread the payments out. But the cost of that is you pay us, the buy now, pay later firm, roughly 2 to 8% of the cost, basically the cost of the purchase. Hmm. And so they make money from the retailer itself. What's in it for retailers, though? Like, why would they pay for this this buy now, pay later service? There have been some studies that show that consumers may spend, say, 30% more. They'll just add more to their shopping cart online because 
you know, even though the total cost might be say $100, once you kind of hit that button and you see, oh, well, it's only 25 bucks right now, you might add more to the cart because it's less of a daunting price. Hmm. How, how popular are the buy now, pay later services in, in Canada today? Like, do, do we actually know? On the outside, you know, the average person doesn't know. I'm sure obviously the retailers know how much is being spent through these platforms, but it's been really hard to get information. You will see reports come out about how, you know, by 2030, the potential for this is $500 billion or whatever some crazy number is. Mm -hmm. But it's been really tricky to know exactly how much is being used right now. Canada for sure has been a laggard uh, relative to other countries, particularly like the US. And that's partly a function of, of our culture here. You know, we're a bit slower to adopt new technologies. Um, so an example I would give is, you know, in the US, you might hear about Venmo, which is a way to like transfer money between friends. Right. Venmo didn't really take off here because we have Interact and everybody uses the Interact system. It's very cheap. You know, it's an e-transfer. It's, it's something we've known for a long time. The stat that I find is the most helpful, and it's a U.S. one, is um, on Black Friday in the U.S. last year, the stat I found was that 8.2% of consumers who were shopping online used a buy now, pay later service, which is still pretty low relative to the hype these things have have gotten, but it was up from about 4% in 2020. Hmm. So there's growth, um, but there's been so much hype around this being the future. And one of the big things is that Apple now has come out and said it's going to launch its own buy now, pay later program. So that has everybody like one uh, optimistic about how this thing could kind of become the norm. But two, for a lot of the existing companies, they're like, well, if Apple just in- integrates this into their own like Apple wallet or whatever on your iPhone, there's no need to go to an outside service. Hmm. So it could do a lot of damage to the existing players. OK, let's let's just get the lay of the land, I guess, in the Canadian market then, Tim. So you mentioned Apple's got a service starting. You mentioned Flexity, Klarna. What services are actually out there for Canadians right now? There's a lot. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's really hard to keep track of them, to be honest. Um, it's it's more like it's the norm now versus the exception, hmm. you know, or whatever the phrase is. And therefore... Um, it's pretty much every site, if you're shopping online, will have a version of this. And and one thing I really want to stress is that a lot of what they're offering isn't new. Like buy now, pay later has existed for years. You know, I remember going shopping with, like, with my mom at Sears when I was like eight years <laughs> old or whatever. And like they would always, always ask you, you know, around Christmas time, do you want to purchase this on layaway? And it just meant you just pay for it over time. But it was a very clunky process. These firms are just trying to kind of digitize the process. Hmm. Um, and so it's not that new. Uh, the concept is not that new. The then, concept is not the, that new. But I guess the way that people are interacting with it seems to be because now we're shopping online and so there's the option there. Yeah. Um, and, and another difference now is it's being used for smaller purchases. Whereas before, I keep using the fridge example just because that's a very tangible thing that you can you can understand. Now, like you can, it's on like, Lululemon sites, you want to buy like a new sweater or like yoga pants or whatever, you can do it. You can, you can do it with small items and like it's on fast retailers like Sheen and Zara. And and then it kind of raises the question of like, should you be really paying for, you know, a $50 purchase in four installments? Like if you can't afford the $50 purchase, like should you really be doing it? Hmm. It's different if you are buying that that item like a washing machine that broke and you just don't have the money. Like that's a very different situation from buying some like new clothes that you might return half of them anyway. We'll be right back. So why are these suddenly so popular now? 
it kind of mystifies me, to be honest. <laughs> um, so it was kind of like this gradual multi-decade move away from the sector. And then it was like, bam, it all came back. And um, I think it's just part of the digital economy. You know, it, it kind of came back in, in this new form. And it's like now it's at the point of checkout online. And it's just very simple to do. You know, it's like literally you click a button and enter some information, but you can do it in like two minutes. Whereas before it used to be like, you at the retail counter. They often had to call their credit department. You had to fill out a long form by hand on paper. And so it was like 20 minutes and now it's two. Hmm. I've got to wonder about inflation, something that we keep we keep talking about on the show because it's really kind of been this part of the zeitgeist these days. How does inflation affect how much people are using uh, these services or, or might use these buy now, pay later services? From the demand side, there's two ways it could play out and both will probably probably be true in some respect. So if prices keep going up, right? And um, you want to buy something that's a hundred bucks and it becomes $110, $120. That might make it more enticing to like spread that payment out over four installments because it's just easier to digest. You may not, may not have enough money saved or wh- whatever the case may be. But the flip side can also be true, which is that if things just start becoming too expensive, people just start shopping less. Mm. And, you know, if a recession hits, people lose their jobs. There's just less, what you would say in in economics, aggregate demand. You know, there's just less demand in the market for goods. On the the other side, on the, the back end, for these buy now, pay later firms, a lot of them, um, they might borrow money or they get money from investors that they kind of dole out. Um, but at the end of the day, like they borrow. And then they, the thinking is that they borrow and they lend that money out at a higher rate. So I was saying with Flexity before, if it's around 30%, you know, there's a huge margin or spread in there where they can make money. If, if people miss payments, then they're making money. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The problem now though, is that just like with mortgage rates, just like with interest rates in general, all rates are going up. So the rate at which they borrow money is rising. So therefore, that compresses their margin, their spread, and it just makes a business model a lot tougher. Hmm. These firms really got a like jolt of, I don't know, adrenaline, whatever you want to call it, um, by the pandemic. Because yes, e-commerce sales boomed, and it felt like this was the future, and everything was going to be online. What we're seeing now is that actually e-commerce sales not have only kind of hit their ceiling for now, but they're actually starting to fall again. Mm-hmm. So that's hit everybody. It's not just these buy now, pay later firms. Amazon's been affected. Shopify's been affected. That's why their stocks have taken hits. Um, and it's really kind of sent this chill across the sector because, you know, some numbers here are, so it's, uh, Square, which is now called Block, but they're kind of a payments company. They bought Afterpay, which is another one of the big uh, buy now, pay later firms for $29 billion US last year. Uh, the, the acquiring company is now down 75% since. Hmm. Um, Affirm, uh, one of the buy now, pay laters, their stock, they actually trade on their own, is down 89% from its peak last year. Hmm. So like the, this huge bubble has has popped. Um, and, and most of these firms, I would say almost all of them really, don't make money. They don't make money. They don't make money. And so that's why if if I sound too skeptical, I'm not trying to be like, I think it's a real legitimate business, but there was just way too much hype built around it. Hmm. Uh, So these companies are essentially loaning you money. It it sounds like you're not actually getting like a credit score check or anything when this happens. Is, Is that right? For the most part, yes. You know, when you go through the process, they do like a quick credit score check. 
and for people who don't know this, you know, if you actually do a full credit check, if you if you're somewhere and you, like they require a full credit check, it can actually dent your credit score. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. So these firms, a lot of these firms have said, no, 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 we don't do full checks, and it's, and it's true, they do like a quick one, and so kind of using your information you have to enter, um, they can do a really quick check to see if there's any kind of like major red flags out there in the market. But but that's a really important point, though, because we talked about like, yes, if you miss a payment, there's high interest rates that, that you're then paying back. But but missing that payment could actually dent your credit score, too. Th- that could be a big consequence. Totally. And at the end of the day, um, it is a version of a credit card. And these firms like really do not like that image out there. They're really out there trying to say, like, we're making it easier for people to spend or whatever. Like, it all seems very simplistic. But it's a credit agreement. And if you if you like if you never pay the money back, like they're going to ding you, you know, like it's not it's not just this mystical thing where it's like, oh, the money just disappeared and whatever, you know, and it's even more relevant if for the big like the big tickets like they will really come at you and that can that can hurt your credit score. Is there any regulation around these kind of services? In general, yes, like they are effectively, like I was saying, they're effectively like credit cards. Mm. So there are rules that apply to them, but it is not um, heavily monitored in the way that they're marketed, um, for instance. And so Canada's actually been a bit slower, I would argue, but that's also because the the rate of adoption here has been a lot slower um, in terms of just general usage relative to, say, the U.S., but the UK, for one, has come out and they've been quite, um, they've done some, some some pretty good studies from the actual kind of regulatory side of things. Mm. And they found that most people, like, for instance, don't understand how the the program works. And they don't actually know that there are fees if you miss payments. And, and I will say, you know, again, myself, I was trying to look up last night um, some of the fees to see if it's more kind of clear now. And it's not. So someone who's even financially literate like me, like, I, you know, I cover finance. It is not clear. You kind of have to dig into like the credit agreement, so to speak. When I was talking about some of the high rates, like 30% rates that people charge, like it was literally a footnote at the bottom in tiny print Mm -hmm. that I found online. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this honestly, this sounds like it could get really complicated. There's a lot of different moving parts here and a lot of different services to keep track of too. Like, can you, I wonder, can you borrow from could you be borrowing from two things at the same time? Is that is that even a possibility? Yeah, uh, and and you can have multiple credit cards at the same time. So um, yes, it could become quite a problem. And so the real fear, and I'll say this personally, my fear is that it can lead to like massive amounts of debt being accumulated because you think that you know it's hundred bucks here, a few hundred bucks there, but all of a sudden it's like a few thousand dollars that can get added up. And then if you're not paying it, you're paying interest on that, et cetera. So it's at the end of the day, it's just classic financial, <laughs> sort of classic financial system. Um, and they're marketing it as if it's different. Hmm. Yeah. I guess the question that I'm that I'm left with here is, is, is this something that's going to be sticking around or is, or is this maybe kind of a fleeting fad that 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 might not last that long? My gut tells me it's for sure sticking around, particularly with the likes of Apple getting into it. I do think, though, that it's going to be more of a niche type product Um, or it'll serve like a sizable part of the market, say 10 percent, 20 percent. But not everybody will will need it. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who get dinged by it in the sense of like they were burned, I I would say, because they miss payments and they don't even mean to miss payments. They just like 
lose track or whatever, you know? Um, and then they're going to realize like, what? There was a cost to that? I, I didn't know that. So there's going to be some, um, some learning woes or whatever you want to call it. Um, and one thing I would say is if you go back about a decade, eight years ago, um, there was this huge push. Um, they were called fintechs and you know financial technology firms and the idea was like they were going to take over the banks they were going to like disrupt the sector and they were going to like take down the dominant players and none of it happened because what ended up playing out was that the banks got quite um worried and they just it forced the banks to be more competitive and kind of launch similar offerings and you're already seeing that right you know rbc scotia etc they're launching versions of buy now pay later but that being said i think it's it's real you know this is not some like silly thing layaway has existed for decades and so therefore there'll always be a part of the market that wants it so what advice would you actually give people who are who are going to be using this service this buy now pay later service number one it is not free money there are some services that you know want to make it as clean as possible um so if you make all your payments you're good to go but it is a form of credit at the end of the day if you are not paying everything up front they are effectively effectively loaning you money until you pay it back. And no one's gonna loan money for free. That is as simple as it gets. The other thing I would say is that it's probably gonna get quite easy to lose track of what you're spending and where, uh, because you can spend 50 bucks here and 75 bucks there, maybe on different platforms. It is really easy to lose track. And that's that's not just like a fear I have, that's what, the likes of kind of the UK regulators have found in, in their initial kind of surveys of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have to be a bit vigilant. Um, the whole digital e-commerce model is designed to make it as easy as possible for you to spend money. And on one hand, it's nice. Like there's no friction, as they say. Like it's, it is really nice. I have young kids. Like I want to buy diapers. It's just really nice to literally click one button and like the, the order's gone through. Um, but it's a lot different when it's just frivolous goods that yeah, maybe you didn't need. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to walk through this today. Happy to be here. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.